Hey there, this is Keith Carpenter. I get to pastor Epic Life Church, and it's such a, a blessing that you're watching this today. I want to encourage you to in, um, enjoy this message and enjoy this worship and time. But I also want to encourage you that if you're listening from a different place in this city or in this country, and you have a local church that you're part of, that you invest into that local church. It's really good that we can hear people online, men and women teach and expound on the scripture. But in the long run, we need to go back to our local church and be part of that community. So again, it's a blessing having you here. I pray that this is a blessing to you and I want to encourage you to invest in your local community. Have a great morning. Amen. You can be seated. It's good to see you this morning, of course. Uh, what a blessing it is to be together in the family of God. So this morning, um, if you're online, it's great to have you here as well, and I hope that uh, you're able to connect. If you've got some comments or questions, please type them into the uh, chat box there on YouTube, and we would love to hear from you or answer your questions. And uh, for those of you who are in a discipleship group, I hope that's going very well. I've been hearing some really good things from that as well, and, and uh, just the blessing of that. And, and Ellie just shared uh, a little bit, but um, hearing that she's involved in one, my, my family's involved in uh, a couple different ones. There's many of you, I look through there and I see different stories coming from you and the discipleship groups that are happening. And I'm really praying that God continues to, to bless that and continues to direct, um, pull, woo people to himself through the story of God in the scriptures. And so we're actually asked uh, one of you, Gene, to come up here and give us a, a short testimony about discipleship group. And uh, Gene is a great friend. If you don't know him, Gene Sagan and his family um, have been here about three and a half, four years. And here, Gene, here's a mic okay. for you. So he's just going to give us a testimony about discipleship groups. Thanks, Gene, for doing this. Hi, everyone. Hello. Yo, hello. Is that yeah. on? Yeah. It is. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Okay, yeah, my uh, let's see, my wife and I and our family, we've been part of this community for, I don't know, probably about four or five years. Time flies. So yeah, I would just like to share this morning a little bit about um, my experience uh, in our, in our uh, one discipleship group here that uh, we have a men's group. We've been meeting for actually a few years in various forms uh, right here in this building. Um, and uh, if you're interested, uh, we meet Thursday at 7. Morning, Thursday morning, yeah. And so far, we're we're a um, we're a, a uh, small but loyal group. This year, we're off to about four or five per Thursday, which is great, I think. But uh, we are, um, of course, open to others who would like to come. Um, I would say I just want to share a few words of encouragement, if I can. The um, one thing that I think is very practical about um, meeting in these groups with other believers, I think about in Ecclesiastes, the good old wisdom literature. Um, Ecclesiastes 4.10, you've know, you know this one, right? Which is, I'll paraphrase, I do a lot of paraphrasing of the scriptures, but, um, which is basically, hey, um, uh, it's so much more useful and helpful for two to help each other um, because um, if one falls, they have someone else to lift them up. Um, and I think about our, our gathering of small groups like this too. Um, we all experience pain, difficulties in our life at a practical level. Um, um, how important it is to have at least one, two, maybe three people. Maybe you're not besties, um, but you have a trust there that um, is established. How much better? Because it's not a question of if, it's a question of when we will fall. Uh, meaning we, it's so easy to succumb to challenges, problems in our lives. Some we bring on ourselves, some come from outside. Either way, it's so important um, to have another to be able to lift you up. It's also so important to be that other person, right? To be that other person, to be able to lift another person up. Um, uh, I don't know about you, but this year, um, this year, this has been a painful year. Um, and um, uh, and it has been really valuable uh, to have others to help give me perspective, um, frankly, to lift me up in some of the difficulties. And I hope I've had the opportunity to lift one or two uh, of those who maybe depend on me. It's good to depend on others and to be depended on. Um, 
that there's a great value in that. So I would say this, and believe me, it's easy, and we were talking about this in our group <clears throat> recently. It is easy to show up to a group. It's easy to show up to this group. Um, not make yourself available, <laughs> uh, right? Uh, to show up and basically just be there physically, but not be there with an attitude that says, I want, with an openness, I want to be supported and to support others in practical ways, um, sometimes in ways that maybe are unseen, like, hey, I'm going to pray for this brother or sister, um, but also address the, their practical needs. So that has been so crucial. I've shown up at many discipleship groups, and I've not shown up. I mean, I've been there physically, but I've not been there in my mind or whatever, and I have a hardness about it. I have a dismissive attitude. I have other problematic attitudes about showing up. And this, is not, this has not been a benefit to the other people in the group, nor to me. So the question is, well, why do you do it? Well, maybe put that to the side for now. But just take to the challenge that if you are part of um, a group, please show up, meaning not just physically, but please show up because you will benefit others and you will benefit yourself in this way that it's, you, can, you can help lift someone up and be lifted up at the same time too. The other thing that I have been encouraged by is when a group acknowledges the authority of God and the grace of God. Um, I think support groups are great. I think many people have been benefited by support groups and self-help groups to some extent. But the best help is when we come to a group and we have some common understanding that God is the authority. Otherwise, who is? You? Are you the authority of your own life? Are you the God of your own life? Or what are the, all the other false gods out there that you fall under? Um, instead, let's fall under the authority of God. Secondly, <clears throat> the nature of God, one of his qualities is um, he is full of grace. And so if we show up under the authority of God and we acknowledge the grace of God, then I believe we are better prepared to show grace for one another. Who's going to show up to a group and lay their cards on the table if there isn't grace in that group? Who's going to do that? Nobody. Why would you do that? Well, then you just become another support group. You just become another little social group. But if we acknowledge the authority of God and the grace of God, then we show up and we take some risks. And we start taking some risks under the authority and the grace of God with one another. Then what do we start enjoying? We actually start enjoying help and helping other people. This is so important. Um, and I have been benefited in those ways um, at, at the groups that I have attended. Um, and just part B to what Ellie was saying. Wow. To um, give careful thought to how you're living. Um, this is so important, and what a great theme also for these groups, too, to help one another think carefully about how we're living. Um, our, the relative affluence that we live in, we are flooded with, we are flooded with entertainment. We are, we are flooded with false gods all around us, things that make pr false promises to us on a nonstop, ongoing basis. This is your fulfillment. This is your satisfaction. This is your meaning. This is your purpose. Um, all of that is vanity. Help us, if we help one another, encourage one another to think carefully about living a life that is pleasing to God. And believe me, not in a bootstrap fashion that says, God, I'm going to make myself worthy of you. This is an impossible task. But rather, again, to approach the grace of God, right? Not, hey, I'm going to make myself excellent, and then, Lord, you'll approve of me. That won't work. And then... <clears throat> One thing, I just want to give a little thing that we, has been, we were talking about this in our men's group, and I hope this is an encouragement to you. We're talking about how we're going through the, the reading things. The, um, if you have that journal thing and it has a, a Bible reading schedule, we're not, we're not killing it on that, but we're making our way. <laughs> um, but that's not the point, I don't think. Um, uh, we were talking about how in, in Genesis, in those early chapters, um, it is um, so encouraging to see that God is asking, inviting us. He is seeking for us. For example, with Adam, even after Adam messes it up, Adam and Eve, after they mess it up, where are you? God is reaching out, even with Cain and Abel, good old Cain, um, after what he's done. The question is, what have you done? God is inquiring after us. He wants to walk with us. So I hope that these groups that we are part of, we are encouraging each other in the way to think carefully. Lord, we want to walk with you. 
because you want to walk with us. You've made that obvious. So let's be responsive to that. Bless you, friends. Amen. Uh, that's so good to hear. Thanks, Gene. I appreciate your, your honesty and humility in sharing that with us. And what a blessing to know that it's good. So that's really, really good. And uh, just appreciate you so much, Gene. Your, uh, your care in relationship is really a good thing. Um, so yeah, if you're not part of a D group, I just want to encourage you to be part of that. I know there's other things in life as well. Uh, the beauty of the discipleship group are is this this community of believers together, uh, reading the word together, and that it is about the Bible, uh, about God's story. Um, some of the stuff I've been talking and thinking about recently is about God's story and how God's story uh, is 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 our story now as Christians, and we're presenting that to the world. Hey, in a few weeks, Easter will be upon us. And uh, if you don't know, Easter is April 4th. Is that right? 6th? I don't know, somewhere in the, the first week of April. And, uh, and so uh, I'm really excited about Easter. I remember a year ago, we were thinking to ourselves, well, the pandemic will be over by Easter, and we'll have an Easter celebration. Well, that didn't happen. So now, now we're, we're looking at the second Easter and really excited about worshiping together. Things are opening up, and as things slowly, whatever that means, opens up in this state compared to other states, I don't know. We'll just kind of keep following and being wise about that with, with safety and mask wearing and how many people are on stage as we start adding musicians and different things. So it's, I'm looking forward to Easter, to worshiping with you and being part of that. Um, so I wanted to, actually, I forgot, just a second, everybody online. So I got this package. I really wanted to share. I, I got this package. You know when the UPS driver comes to the door or when, when I was young, um, we lived in the mountains, and we always could hear the ups man, the UPS guy, coming up the road because the gravel road, and he had to really crank it down on a low gear to get up the big lane there. And he would come up, and we were like, the UPS guy is here. Oh, yes, this is awesome. There's got to be a package from grandma and grandpa. I mean, this is going to be. And so we were always so excited to see what we got. So we'd run out there, and he'd hand it off to us, and we'd probably scribble our name on there, I don't know, and we'd run back in, and sometimes mom and dad would make us wait before we opened the boxes. Sometimes you open the box, and they're wrapped like gift wrapping, so you actually don't get to know what's in them. Anybody else excited when the UPS guy shows up? No? I mean, or FedEx, I don't care who it is, Amazon nowadays, uh, it shows up at the house. Christmas, I mean, this past Christmas season was ridiculous on how many Amazon, FedEx, UPS, DSL, DHL, I don't know who else, trucks, and people with just cars and stuff on their back. And uh, so we got, we, we had just boxes and boxes and boxes showing up. So I was so excited to get this box and, uh, and share this with you this morning. Oh, but before I do that, um, I uh, just want to pray for uh, Roots Community Church. If you guys would pray with me for Roots Community Church. They are, uh, you know, for a year now, Roots and Missio and other church plants have been without a spot to worship. And so they've been forced to be online only. And, uh, and so this morning I want to specifically pray for Roots as they're seeking a, a place in the Roosevelt area and just pray that God opens doors up for them and uh, we get to celebrate that with them. So if you'd pray with me. Father, thank you for uh, Dave Elif, Pastor Dave, and uh, Kevin Black, and I uh, thank you for that staff and that church and what you're doing in the Roosevelt area through Roots Community Church. What a blessing it is that we've gotten to walk on this road with them for about six years, seven years now. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would protect and bless their families and, and protect and bless that church, that your word would be continually preached there and uh, people would be in, in small groups together learning and growing and you'd give them opportunity, Lord, to touch uh, tangibly touch the community of Roosevelt just just a little ways away from us I pray Lord specifically that you would open up a door to them where they could have a permanent place to meet uh, since the the community center has been shut down I pray Lord Jesus that you would open a spot for them where they could have offices and children's classes and a space to set up for them to uh, worship uh, 
weekly and, and throughout the week and a, a gathering place in the community of Roosevelt. Please, Lord, protect them, bless them, uh, give your abundance on them. In Jesus' name, amen. It is so fun to know them. Uh, Dave and I get together once a week, actually, to pray together to walk together and drink some coffee together, which has been a huge blessing. Um, and uh, I, hope, I hope that continues. His family had another baby, by the way, which the eggs had another baby as well. It's uh, Quill Noah, a cute little boy, and uh, adding five to their family. That's awesome. Not adding five, being the fifth. So uh, if, you, if you get to shoot, shoot a note to the Aches, do that. Super excited for them. They're, they're just a fantastic family, fun, fun kids. So, so exciting. So the Beatitudes, we're back in the Beatitudes. And uh, we're going to be going through the book of Matthew here. And what I think is that the Beatitudes, the book of Matthew is going to be coming to, uh, it's going to be um, uh, bringing the story of God out of what you're reading in discipleship groups. So Genesis and, and Job and uh, Exodus and everything God's doing, the story of God in the Bible, the Beatitudes are going to be, we're going to see this thread that brings all of that together. So the beauty of the Bible and the re one of the reasons that I share a lot of verses on Sunday morning is that the beauty of the Bible is that it all works together. It's a flow, a thread of God's story in the entire Bible. It's not a whole bunch of different people writing random things. It's a whole bunch of different people writing from the Spirit of God for one story, the story of God. So I'm going to read uh, Matthew 5, and we're going to read all of the Beatitudes, and I'm adding on to that uh, the teaching of salt and light, because I really think it goes together with the Beatitudes. So we haven't done this in a while, but out of honor for God's word, would you stand and read this with me? This is um, our, actually, I'm, uh, we're going we're gonna to read this in the e uh, English Standard Version. Um, so this is chapter 5, verse 1 through 16. Do we got that, you guys? Ah, oh, there it is. Okay, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountainside. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. Next slide. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the, are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do we got? Okay. Um, I'll read the rest here. And this, this is, and you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? Will it be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless? You're the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. And no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all of those to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Amen. I think I just gave them the first few verses up there, so not their fault, my fault. Thank you, God, for this passage. Thank you for your scripture. I praise you. I thank you for your word. It is so powerful. It's so effective in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us this morning and uh, you would be encouraging to us, but also help us to see truth and be cut to the heart and, and, and listen with boldness and then step out in action. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Beatitudes run uh, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. One thing, a couple weeks ago, I shared a poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson, and it says this. It says, yet I doubt not through the ages 
one increasing purpose runs. And the thoughts of men are widened, are widened with the process of the sons. Alfred Lord Tennyson believed there was one increasing purpose that ran through history, ran through the, the, uh, the history of the earth and everything that we know. And that one increasing thread is God's story of history. It's a beautiful story and is running from the beginning of creation to the end of revelation, if you will, to the end times. And it's God's story of history, bringing a people to him, gathering them around, bringing redemption because of a fall and bringing, of course, new life and new creation. It's the kingdom of God, the thread of the kingdom of God throughout the incredible Bible and text that we have. Um, each Beatitude now is going to show this thread. It's going to be built on one another, um, added to, if you will. These are not standalone verses in any way. We should never take these verses as standalone verses because they'll be misunderstood. They should always be read together, building on one another. And it starts with Matthew 4, 17, where Jesus says, and his ministry began, he steps out of the wilderness and he started to preach and in Matthew 4, 17, he says, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus starts his ministry by saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Repent of your sins and turn to God. So all of the Beatitudes then are seen in the thread of this. All of them should be stacked against this, um, presented with that passage about repentance. Jesus is preaching to disciples, and he's preaching to people I'm going to call attenders. People who are there to learn at Christ's feet, to understand what he's saying, and he's speaking then also to the crowd behind them that are just attending. Disciples, disciples stay, attenders kind of leave. Back in John chapter 6, and... Uh, they're going to show this passage. And those of you who know the Bible, John chapter 6, verse 66, yeah. Actually, it's just going to be that one. You notice John chapter 6, 66 is an interesting number thing going on there. But the verse says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. They were just attenders. They were people who were there just for the show just to see the miracles, just to eat the food. And he was presenting some hard truths. And at this point, many of the disciples turned away and left him. Well, John chapter 6 then, um, it says something more, something different about the disciples themselves. And actually, I gave you guys the wrong verse, so sorry about that. Um, John 6, 61, Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? Does all this stuff I'm saying offend you? Then what will you think when you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing, and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And some of, some of you do not believe me, for Jesus knew that some would turn around. And he said... That is why people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. So at this point, some of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the rest of the 12, the disciples, the 12, and asked, Are you going to leave as well? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. And so Jesus' disciples, there's disciples and there's attenders, and the disciples of Christ are going to stay and are going to listen, are going to hear the hard truths and stay and grow and allow God to continue to work on them. This beatitude passage starts with repenting. And so in verse 3, it says, the poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, this idea of poor um, spiritual bankruptcy orchestrates the rest of the Beatitudes. It orients it, if you will. Repentance. The attitudes of the Beatitudes. Beatitudes doesn't actually mean be attitudes. It actually means blessing. The Beatitude word means blessing. But interestingly, we have this idea of attitudes inside of the Beatitudes. If you know anything about flying airplanes, anybody fly airplanes in here? Maybe Jake. 
is the only one that kind of has some idea, right? And so there's an idea of flying in, in uh, um, airplanes that's called attitude. Attitude means visually establishing the airplane's position in the sky in reference to the natural horizon. So if you take a X, right, uh, crosshairs, your attitude, you're flying in that. If you have no panel to fly by, you can still fly by the attitude that the plane is, the axis of the plane on an XY axis. So you, you're banking around this way vertically, or this way, you're, you're on your lateral pitch, depending on the horizon. And the attitude of the airplane and some thrust allows you to have performance. I think the word attitude is so amazing and so beautiful for, for us as Christians because... This, it orientates us, our attitude towards the scripture, towards the understanding of this, orientates us to our performance, our life. If flying is life, attitude or is our outlook in life, and attitude is super, super important. Um, so poor in spirit, poor in spirit, being bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt, is going to orientate us to what it means to mourn and what this mourning thing means completely. This thread through repentance, through the Beatitudes, through the Old and New Testament, there's a thread of God's blessing, God's beauty. You know, when, when God um, talked to Moses, it was a scary moment for Moses. He would come out, his face would be shining, the people were scared because God had thundered on the mountain, presented the tablets, he, he ended up destroying a bunch of people for sin. There was a scary moment of God uh, uh, being in Moses' presence. And then now we see God, Jesus, sitting around and teaching these words to his, his disciples, this different encounter in humans. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. You guys ever get distracted? <laughs> I do, like all the time. I, uh, sometimes when I sit down to read a book, I get super distracted with things that buzz or things outside or things that I might think that somebody's trying to communicate me, with me even though, or the TV show I didn't quite finish. I just get distracted a lot, a lot. Kind of a distracted human. I hate it. I hate how humanity, I hate how the world distracts us so much. It's something that I just... It's something that I can't stand. And it's like this pulling on my heart sometimes. Um, sometimes I love to get something out of the blue that kind of takes me out of that, uh, the distraction, the, the moment, the thing that I really need to be working on and really focusing on. I love to be distracted even. Like a UPS guy coming to the door and giving me something. <laughs> it's so nice. It's like, no, no, actually... Studies show you have to spend 15 minutes doing something, focused on something, to really get into it well. And seldom do any of us spend 15 minutes focused on anything. I think that's the beauty of the discipleship groups, is, is spending 15 minutes or more focusing on the Word of God and then talking about it with others. It starts changing us. We live in a distracted world. We're always distracted, always looking for something to pull us out of the thing. I wanted to share this with you because, well, honestly, it has a lot to do with this sermon, but it's also really exciting. Do you guys feel that sometimes you're in this world and there's just so much chaos happening? Like, it's always happening. Like, there's always something to mourn, something to weep about, something to be discouraged about. It feels like there's always something coming at us and hitting, hitting us. I got rid of one of those things. It was called Facebook. <laughs> something is always coming at us, right? And I feel like there's always something to mourn. I'm walking down the street just this last week and, and ran into a young lady. And it just pulled my heart apart, realizing there was absolutely nothing I could do. We could care for her, and we did. We cared for her, brought her here, helped her out loved her, cared for her, but there was nothing we could do. And our, our, it was like somebody grabbed your heart and just kind of threw it on the floor and stomped on it and said, see ya. I mean, that's, that's the problem with ministry. Somebody asked me two days ago, like, what's it like being a pastor on Aurora? I'm like, 
does he want to hear the truth or does he want to hear, you know, oh, it's fine, right? The truth is, it's brutally hard, like brutally hard. If you've been around for just a small time, you realize how brutally hard it is to be in ministry on Aurora Avenue, much less Seattle as a whole. There's so much to mourn. Driving every day, my, my heart is mourning something. And here the scripture says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Dave Elliff, my friend at Roots Community Church, actually is preaching through the Beatitudes at the same time we are. And so he says, blessed, this word blessed means a state of being that is marked by the fullness of God and being fully satisfied in him. You guys have that. Dave Elliff, he got here today. A state of being that is marked by the fullness of God and being fully satisfied in him. We take so much. I mean, we, we take our blessing, our, what, what we get in life, that, that thing in circumstance, we are like, oh, that is so awesome. I feel so blessed to have this thing. And things, we, we kind of mix up things with, uh, with blessing. And there's so much more to this idea of blessing. In fact, this blessing is really this idea for his glory, the blessing. So blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Man has consistently looked at the Beatitudes through the eyes of self-fulfillment. Like, how is this going to fulfill me? In fact, what's my story in this? Not what's God's story in this. The Beatitudes, if I get us to think about anything, is to get us to put the lenses on that see life, that see the Bible, that see the Word of God and the Beatitude through the lens of God's story. Not what do I get out of these. How do I get happy out of the crappy would be a way to put the Beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn. But that's not really where it's going. We've got to look at all of Scripture through the lens of God's work, not something we get in the mail and a blessing because of we, were, we strive to be mournful or something like that. Is this the kingdom of God for me? How does it apply to me? What can I use this in my life? How does this apply to me in my life right now? Or is this about God's story and God's masterpiece of creation? You see, the, the thing is, is that God has created each one of us as a masterpiece. Do you guys realize that? We went through the book of Ephesians, right? And we talked about the idea of a masterpiece, this beautiful, beautiful masterpiece. And, and uh, Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says that, Paul says that God has created you, you, as a masterpiece. That you are a masterpiece. And then he's displaying himself through the masterpiece that you are. Isn't that mind-blowing? I was in the National Museum of Art in Washington, D.C., and I walked into this room. I shared this a few years ago. But I walked into this room that was about, a, it was a square, 20 by 20. And on the four walls in that square, there was a door there, a door there. You walk in, and here's these walls. It was the story of life and these huge paintings from 1600s, I think. Huge paintings. And I walked in, I was just blown away by the masterpiece of these paintings. Like the detail. And then the detail and the beauty of the paintings was one thing, but then the story that it told was another thing. And I just stood there in the middle of this room in awe and wonder at the masterpiece that I was standing in. That... And to a thousand degree more is the masterpiece that you are, personally, that God has created you to be. And he's showing himself to the world through his masterpiece. Just like an artist will show his ideas and his creativity to the world through his masterpiece that he hangs on the wall. God has created you, not for your looks, not for something as shallow as looks, but something more, something deeper, something crazy deep and so there's a there's god's story arc let's call it the story arc um and i'm going to talk about this a lot over this year the story arc of god is the creation it's the fall it's the redemption it's the new creation and as you're reading through genesis you're going to see this right this idea i'm sharing with two young men um in my discipleship group who um, are learning about Christ maybe for the first time 
And they're seeing, starting to see the story arc. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. God's story, God's story of choosing a, a people, of, of presenting himself to a people who repent and believe and turn to him, and this new creation, this new masterpiece is being presented to humanity. God's story being presented. In the Old Testament, God spoke law and justice. And honestly, the law brought us to a spot. It brought us to understanding poor in spirit. You know, a ladder, a ladder is really useful. But if a ladder doesn't have a first step, it's not useful at all. (laughs) It makes it more difficult. Poor in spirit is like the first step of a ladder, if you will. So the law, it brought us to a place of realizing our need for a savior. It brought us to a place of being poor in spirit, of, not under, of, of being bankrupt. A ladder is only useful with the first step. And so Jesus comes along and he fulfills the law in fulfilling it with blessing and grace and presenting these things, these beatitudes. Those who mourn. How we understand this word mourn? I think a lot of us have ideas about it and often throughout christian history and teaching we go to just this verse when we feel sorrowful about something or we're mourning about a loss of family or friends or a death in the family and we read this one verse and we go blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted and we we try to seek a comfort out of the mourning in our soul but god is talking about something bigger here god does bless and and comfort when we mourn yes that is true But this beatitude is about something more, something bigger. It's more than being sad. It's so much more. This word mourning, an open expression of grief, a wailing and a lament, a soul rising up and crying out, a deep soul rending a manifestation of a deep sorrow. Man, you will read through the book of Psalms and you see David and the psalmist crying out in sorrow. Psalm chapter 6. O Lord, don't rebuke me for your anger or discipline me in your range. Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. I'm sick in my heart. How long, O Lord, until you restore me? Return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your unfailing love. For the dead, he's considering himself dead. The dead do not remember you. Who can praise you from the grave? I'm worn out from sobbing. At night, I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with tears. My vision is blurred with grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. I don't know how many of you experience that moment laying awake at night and soaking your pillow with tears because of the mourning of your own life, of things in life, of hurt, of of disappointment, of whatever it is. The people in the Bible express that often. I'm worn out from sobbing all night. I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of my enemies. The psalmist understood it. This mourning is a deep, soul-rending mourning. First, we, we must make sure we are looking at the the word mourn correctly. And like I said, we need to look at the Beatitudes through the lens of the first Beatitude and through the lens of repent and believe. The first Beatitude is poor in spirit. We understand then that mourning is something different. We understand that it is a mourning over our own inability to get to God, our own sin, our our own problems of sin. It's an orientating our lives to this understanding of sin in our life. This word mourning is not a message to everyone. It's not a message to everyone who mourns. It's not a message to people who are crying on the street necessarily. It's not really for people who don't believe in God. This is a bit inclusive. Would it be loving for God to comfort people who hate him? Follow me with this for a second, okay? 
I know we teach this, that this is God speaking to humanity. When humanity mourns, he will comfort them. But first, this is God speaking to people who have realized their bankrupt spirits. Because in that, the comfort then is salvation. The comfort is completion. The comfort is new creation, redemption and new creation. But if God is just giving happy feelings to somebody on the street who is mourning the abuses of the world, if he's just giving happy feelings to that, is that really being nice to that person? Or should he be turning and convicting that person of sin and understanding there's a bigger story and that bigger story is redemption and new creation? Yes, God loves everyone, but repentance for salvation is an absolute must. We can't get away from that. It's the recognition of spiritual bankruptcy, mourning over our own sin and our own rebellion, a repenting of sin. It's an emotional response to being poor in spirit. James 4, and this isn't, this isn't my word. I mean, this is all the way through the Bible. James 4, 7. So humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In fact, come close to God. And God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. We've read those passages before, but it's hard to understand this idea that, that James is saying, hey, instead of laughter, let there be sadness. Instead of joy, let there be gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord. And what will he do? He'll lift you up in honor. Mourning is coming out of a broken spirit and understanding who we are before God. This is one side of the cross, this place where we need repentance. We then welcome salvation and recognize it as comfort and joy. We recognize it as full. 2 Corinthians 7.10 tells us that this kind of salvation ends well for us. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, that actually lacks repentance and results in spiritual death. So if God is being kind and comforting people who are not willing to repent, it's a worldly sorrow that is just sorrowful, right? And does, it leads to death. That's what this says, that it leads to death, not to life. Sorrow, understanding our spiritual bankruptcy, ends in salvation. Worldly, death, worldly sorrow ends in death. A deep Oh, A.W. Tozer says this. The whole transaction of religious conversion has been made a mechanical and spiritless thing. Faith may now be exercised without a jar to the moral life and without an embarrassment to the Adamic or Adam's ego. Christ may be received without creating any special love for him in the soul of the receiver. The man is saved, but he is not hungry or thirsty after God. He has not discovered a spiritual bankruptcy. He has not mourned out of his own sin, understanding his own sin. He has not approached the Beatitudes in the right way. Often the, the way of the world is, I'm sorry I got caught because I got caught, but I'm mad if you're going to hold me, and I'm going to feel guilty about that. I'm, I'm going to be mad about it. I'm not turning to God. I won't. I feel horrible, but I'm not going to turn to God. Whereas the God of the, the righteous person that comes to God, that God makes righteous, is thanking God for catching me and, and restoring me in this sin. Praising God. And in Acts 2, when Peter was preaching to the crowds, the crowds were cut to the heart because of sin and their own understanding. They were cut to the heart so deeply that then they did something. They repented. There's, there's a really important thing that we, we have to get, get here. And this is how we look at life. What kind of lens we look at life through. And if we're going to 
um, allow God to show us things differently. There's this w- world that we live in. It's the, the kingdom of God. It's the already but not yet kingdom of God. You understand that? The already, we see glimpses of the kingdom of God. The not yet is the eternal hope that we are hoping for, we are looking towards. It's all about how we see that kingdom of God. I got, I got to just stop here. Lord God, you are so good. And uh, I'm, I'm super distracted this morning, and, and I'm not sure why. But maybe it's because of the content. Maybe it's because of this past week. But God, I just pray that, that you would help us to look at your word differently. And that we would stop looking at it from a selfish perspective. What can we get out of it? God, it's so hard because we live in this, this world that's so now focused we, we live in this world that's so now focused that you say the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is here, and we've experienced salvation, and we've experienced something beautiful, yet, yet we still mourn. We still weep. And we know there's a future history, God, and it's so hard to live right now. There's so many things pressuring against us, so many distractions. So, Lord, I just pray that Maybe we'll just wrap this up. I just pray that, that you would speak in our spirit and our soul. I thank you, Lord, for the way you comfort us. God takes us from mourning to comfort. The word comfort is this word parakaleo. It actually means to come alongside, to woo somebody alongside. So the comforter, God, comes alongside of us, walks alongside of us. This is another word that's used for exhorting one another. To stand up close next to one another. And God promises us that when we are mourning of our own sin, that he'll come next to us, walk next to us, and be with us. That next to us is the Holy Spirit of God. Not just standing next to us, but with us. With us. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter. This passage in Matthew only makes sense when we look at it from a salvation perspective, a lens of Jesus Christ, a lens of God's story. It gives us joy and freedom. It lifts a burden, a weight. It gives us life. And even though we still live in a land, a place of mourning, a place of sorrow, we can still have the Holy Spirit's blessing, the blessed life. Grace, grace is an inclusive idea. It's not exclusive. Grace and, and comfort from mourning isn't something that goes to all people. It is only something when someone has come to know Christ as their Savior through repentance, turning to him. The Beatitudes only work in a Christ-following perspective. A change in the way we see things of God's story, creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. We need new glasses, actually, to see things. Wouldn't it be great? Do you guys ever see the movie They Live? Don't. It's probably not that great a movie. It was in the 80s. It's probably horrible. But one thing about that is they, the people had these glasses that they could see the aliens among them. Okay, terrible analogy for what I'm talking about here. But part of it is having a different lens to look at the world, to look at the world through a different lens. And all of us have lenses on our eyes that look at the world through our own selfish gratification and what I can get and what blessing is in my life instead of looking at it through God's blessing. So I've just got a pair of glasses here. Sorry. That's all it is. But I hope that when you put on a pair of glasses, you'll see something different. Maybe it's just a reminder in your mind to look at the world differently. New glasses for the already, right here. The kingdom of God, right here. Use them. This is God's story. Because the end is coming at some point. The Lord will return and will give us something that we can't even imagine. Revelation 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more pain. 
All of these things will be gone forever. The one sitting on the, on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. God's story is in the, is in the Bible. There was creation, there was fall, there was redemption, and there's new creation. And when we look through the lens of mourning, may we see that mourning over our own sin and salvation and new life that we have. Father, um, as we sing this last song, as, as Ellie has through the, the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 23, I pray, Lord Jesus, that it would be um, a, a blessing to us. And God, I've just realized what my problem is this morning. And I just pray for your redemption in that. Um, hmm. God, you're moving in people's lives, and I've seen it throughout this week as, as you're speaking differently to people, and people are asking questions, and people are coming to know you as Savior. You're speaking differently. And we're meeting people in the neighborhood who are, who are being, you're drawing to yourself. And it's so obvious to me that the enemy just does not want this to happen right here. Lord, this week, as you know, I was compared by someone um, who said, I really love hearing these certain online pastors preach. And, and something in that cuts me a little bit. Because we're here in Epic Life, we're not even trying to be the online big thing. It's not even our point. Our point is to be like in community and gathering and caring for one another. And whenever, whenever I'm in a space, Lord, that I'm trying to be somebody else, I understand that I get really tenuous about it and hold back. And God, you're so much bigger than that. You've created a masterpiece here as Epic Life Church that is so much bigger than an online personality or an online band or an online church. So much more than that. And I praise you for that. This masterpiece that you've created in us as individuals and us as a church. And Lord, as, as this masterpiece comes together in this community of believers and this community where you're drawing people to yourself, may we realize this and turn to you in our weeping and our mourning. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and it seems so difficult that as Christ followers, we can lean back on you for authentic comfort. Like your Holy Spirit is with us, part of us, caring for us. And I praise you for that. And Lord, I praise you that someday in the future, our eternal hope, there will be no more crying, no more filling our pillows with weeping. But we would be in your presence. Amen. In Jesus' name.